Henry, host of The Writer's Voice, and my guest today is Sarah Lynn Richard, and she is going to talk about her books. She uh, writes mysteries. She's written two in a series. Her latest is a standalone. She's also written a children's book, and we're going to talk about comparisons and contrasting today. And uh, first, though, let me introduce you to Sarah Lynn. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great and so happy to be with you today. Well, happy to have you. Now, why don't you hold up that book cover for your most recent book, A Murder of Principle. I love the fact that it matches your blouse. (laughs) (laughs) Color coordination is so important. So that's your most recent book, and that's a standalone. Why don't you tell us briefly about that? Okay. This takes place in a school. Uh, You can see the the old school there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Maverick Principle has been hired to come in and shake things up because This is the beginning of the accountability movement, and the test scores at this school are low, and even though everybody who works there thinks it's a fabulous place and that they're so effective, the test scores say otherwise. So the school district has hired this principal to come in and bring change, and change is always difficult and painful. So uh, no one at the school is really receptive to the principal's new ideas. Even the assistant principal that he hires from within the faculty, she has loyalty to him for hiring her, but she's a little disgruntled too. So this sounds to me like this is all part of the way you do things, okay? You're looking at things from two different angles or opposite ends and comparing and contrasting because isn't that what you've done with your settings in your series book, right? In your series Mm -hmm. books. So tell us about that. Tell us about, especially let's start with setting and we'll get on to creative writing a little later, but start with setting and tell us how you've done settings completely different. And you you embrace both of them, but you see things from different perspectives. Well, my settings run the gamut because the school that I just told you about, Lincoln High School, is an urban high school. It's in the Midwest, and it's in a very disadvantaged neighborhood. The people who live there are extremely impoverished, and it's about them. This is about that milieu. Mm -hmm. Um, My series books that include Murder in the 1% and Palette for Love and Murder, they're set in Brandywine Valley, Pennsylvania, which is one of the richest communities in America. And the people in those books are the very wealthiest people in the country. So I actually belong to neither of those groups. Uh, (laughs) Okay. but, uh, But I have been really privileged in my life to be associated with both of those groups. And I, I worked in an underprivileged school for many years and had the privilege of knowing that community inside and out and being a part of it. Mm -hmm. And I have some relatives that have included me in their 1% events, and I've been a part of those too. So it's been really fun to write about people at both ends of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. because as different as they are, as different as their lives are, there are so many similarities as well. Uh, because people are people. 
And if you're on an outsider, I'm thinking you looking from the outside in, you can be objective as well. And you can sympathize and critique at the same time. Right. And my detective in the series, Detective Parrot, is also an outsider. And that's what makes him so effective as a detective. And that's a rhyme. (laughs) Because he's able to see things that the insiders are not able to see. And he's able to disassociate himself enough to have that critical eye and be able to see through some of the subterfuge and and things that people put in the way. He breaks through a lot of walls. So I'm guessing it probably helps you characterize a whole lot better having been part of two completely different communities because I'm guessing, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, you could probably get into their heads and go back and forth with a realism that somebody might not otherwise have. I mean, we, we can use our imaginations as writers, and a lot of times we're spot on, but I'm going to guess that having lived in both environments, you have a wealth of actual hands-on experience that mm-hmm. another writer might not have. I do. And probably a theme that runs in common through both sets of books is that money is just money. That money is really a thing. It's a material possession. And yes, power can come with money and status can come with money, but happiness does not come with money. And there are people who are very, very rich and miserable. Mm -hmm. And there are people who are very, very poor and happy. And, you know, it's fun to portray that. I just immerse myself in whatever world I'm writing in. And these insights just come out. Well, and I'm not surprised. You know, one of the things too, just to tag on to what you said, is when you talk about money, people don't realize that legally money is considered property. So money is, according to law, the same thing as a car or a book or dog. Okay. I mean, animals when we have them and people can get so emotional about these thing. I don't know about you, but I consider animals living beings and I don't consider them property or things a lot, but the law does. And I think the same thing with money. People consider money to be a living, breathing thing that they can't do without. And I think the different viewpoints is fascinating. Well, the people in Brandywine Valley Mysteries, they have all come to their money in different ways. So some of them have inherited it and some of them have earned it. Some of them have earned it and lost it. And some of them have married into it. Okay. There are diverse attitudes toward money Mm -hmm. in those books. And in the other book, money is not as important. Either it's really important to you or it's not, I would think. That's probably a situation where there are fewer shades of gray, no? Right. Now, one of the things I'm really fascinated about is you mentioned to me that when it comes to your creative writing, you've taught creative writing at the high school level, and you're teaching it now to seniors. And that just fascinates me. So why don't you talk about that? Because you and I talked about it a little bit, and I I think the listeners are going to just love some of the things you have to talk about with respect to creative writing, teaching it at both ends of the age spectrum. Well, when you are a writer and you're teaching creative writing, the whole experience is, it's kind of like bubbles up within you because you're a creative person as well. 
And I always wanted to be a writer, but I deferred that dream be to being a teacher because my parents discouraged it. And, you know, at the time that I went into a career, writing was not a very stable career. So I started teaching creative writing to students a couple of decades ago, and I found that they were less creative, actually. Really? Young people were less creative? Than the older people that I teach now, because they had less experience in life and less ability to write about experience, uh, they really had to stretch themselves to imagine themselves in other settings or other situations than what they had actually experienced. And with limited experience, it's difficult to write. Well, and I would guess too, with people, if you have limited relationships, that probably stunts the imagination even more. Right. Because a writer has to, and you know this yourself, a writer has to really plumb the depths of not just their experience, but their emotional growth mm -hmm. in order to have characters experience that kind of growth. Right. And so my teenage students were always complaining that they didn't know what to write about. They didn't know what to do, even if they had an idea of something to write about, they didn't know what to do with that idea to really make it flourish and, and come out in the writing. And so what I did more with them than I do with my older students is turn them to research. Okay. So I had them interviewing people, like if one of them chose to write about an alcoholic character. Mm -hmm. And so I had them interview some people at, at AA. I had them interview anybody that they knew who did like alcohol or didn't like alcohol, you know, or had an opinion about it. Cause now, right. now, now they're acquiring life experience, even if it's just Not um, surface, right, right. Right. And even if it's more on the surface than like you said, you know, deep down inside themselves, at least it's some sort of experience. It gives them a springboard then to use their imagination. Right. Their stories turned out to be more like research papers. <laughs> that was good. I mean, they actually hey, something different. It was good. And I, I actually have about eight students that I taught as high schoolers who earned their livelihood writing. Really? So it worked. You know? That's neat. How do the seniors respond to the creative writing? The seniors, most of them come in like tiptoe into the class because they say, oh, I've always wondered if I could write, but I never knew if I could write. And so this is an experiment to see if I could be a writer. And they all turn into writers. And the classes are amazing because the people in them are so diverse and their life experiences are so diverse. So they have so many things that they have trouble paring down topics to write about because they're just bursting with ideas. And they have such a wellspring of emotion to share. And it's a joy to watch these stories unfold. Every time we meet, they have assignments and they read their assignments out loud. And the writing is just superb. Well, you know what I'm thinking here from what you're talking about and correct me if I'm wrong. It seems to me that probably the high schoolers who come into the class probably are brimming over with confidence and the seniors are not. And they're both like behaving exactly the opposite of the way the actual 
results will come out. All right. It's fascinating. It's Isn't absolutely fascinating. And it's fun. And both of them are equally fun to teach and very rewarding to see, to bring out whatever is inside of a person is just a thrill for a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds so, and it's a thrill for, as a writer too, because their experiences become part of my wealth. Well, and then you can characterize as well, because I would imagine that the way the high schoolers and the seniors approach the task of creative writing and learning and communicating is probably gonna transfer over to all kinds of other activities as well. It's probably not just how they approach creative writing. It's probably how they tackle life in general, I'm guessing. But the interesting thing is that the lessons are pretty much the same. The content of what I'm teaching them yeah. is pretty much the same because you know I'm teaching imagery and I'm e teaching figures of speech and I'm teaching vivid verbs and, you know, just all of the common elements of good writing. Yeah. But the way it's interpreted at the different age groups is different. How interesting. Now, people can find you and your books on your website at sarahlynrichard.com. That's correct. Why don't you hold that most recent book up again so people okay. can see A Murder of Principle. I thank you so much for visiting with me today. Very, very interesting topics. Maybe we'll have you back and maybe you can give us some more information and share more details about how successful you're being with that creative writing. We'll be talking to you again, I'm sure. Thank you. Bye-bye.